Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. I'm going to start a conversation with you this evening, and uh, I do uh, really want it to be a conversation. Uh, I would just prefer you not uh, try to tell me what you think about the message until after I'm done, so uh, we can talk about it after. But uh, I hope to, to give some insights and uh, to generate some questions on the inside of you. I, I really do believe um, that discernment uh, is a much-needed thing in the body of Christ. And I believe especially in the dates and the hour that we're living in, uh, that it's, it's critical for us to learn how to be people that know how to discern uh, good and evil. It's important for us to be people that know how to discern or how to test the spirits that are at work in the world around us. And uh, we're going to see how, how much uh, steam I have in me uh, to continue uh, on, this, on this topic, but I hope to make it a, a multi-part deal. Um, but I want to start tonight with a conversation around testing the spirits. And if I was to put a, a subtitle to this for this first session, I would say, uh, conformed or transformed? I ask a question, conformed or transformed? And uh, I want to begin uh, reading out of the book of Romans chapter 12. Verses 1 and 2, a familiar passage of Scripture. Uh, and then I want to jump down and I want to read five verses uh, in the book of James, chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. And uh, then by that point in time, I might be ready to pray. Uh, and then we're going we're gonna to get into it. So Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 says this. I'm reading out of the English Standard Version of the Scripture. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, this is the Apostle Paul Writing to us, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And this is the part that many of you know. Do not be conformed. Everybody say conformed. To this world, but be transformed. Will you say transformed? By the renewal of your mind. That by testing, everybody say testing, you may discern, everybody say discern, what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. James chapter 3, verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Everybody say wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy... And selfish ambition in your hearts. Do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom. Everybody say wisdom. That comes down from above. But is earthly. Unspiritual. Another word for unspiritual is sensual or carnal. Worldly. Demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist. There will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom, everybody say wisdom, from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Father, tonight as your children, we endeavor to allow your Holy Spirit, who is the great teacher, 
to teach us what it means to walk with your wisdom. Holy Spirit, you are the spirit of wisdom. You are the one that leads us and guides us into all truth. Your word is truth, Father. So I pray tonight that as we partner with you to see your kingdom come and your will be done, your good, acceptable, and perfect will in our lives, that would come as we discern truths from your word, truths that the Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts and to our lives, and that we would be people in this hour, in the midst of this culture, that walk with a discernment to know what it means to follow the true and the living God, whose name is Jesus the Christ. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. I'm here to tell you tonight that there are two forces at work in the world, two forces at work in the world, that of good and that of evil, that of light and that of darkness, that of God and that of Satan. The two forces at work in this world are seeking to accomplish a particular task. That which is of darkness, that which is of this first type of wisdom that James, the brother of the Lord, says, this wisdom, sorry, the second type of wisdom, First, he mentions a wisdom from above. Second, a wisdom that is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. This dark spirit, this inferior form of wisdom, seeks to see you conformed into a particular image in this life. There's another type of wisdom. There's another force. There's another spirit at work in the world today that of light, that of God, that which we know to be the Holy Spirit, which seeks for you not to be conformed, but transformed. We have the opportunity as human beings to choose which of these forces influence and infiltrate our lives. We see a pattern open up for us in God's original design for humanity. How many of you this evening can uh, remember uh, reading a little bit about the Garden of Eden? God's original design and plan for humanity. And God's original design and plan for humanity was in a garden, a garden called Eden. It's uh, kind of a cool thing to do a word study of that Garden of Eden and to find out that the word Eden actually means delight. A lot of people don't know this, but God's original design for your life is delightful. God's actually in a good mood. He's always in a good mood. Even though some of his followers look like they're baptized in pickle juice. God is actually in a good mood. And God has good things for you. Good things planned for your life. And God's original design for humanity was good. Not only was it good, when he made human beings, he looked and he said, this is very good. And we see this partnership that was even alluded to tonight, I believe, uh, prophetically by Levi at the beginning of the service, that God's destiny for us is communion or relationship with him, intimate relationship. We see in the Garden of Eden that Adam and Eve 
literally walked with God in the cool of the day. That they had this face-to-face, this abiding intimacy with the Lord. There was this unseen, if you will, because we know that the Lord is spirit and those that worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. But how many of you know that just because something is unseen does not mean that it's not real? Jesus has a conversation with a Pharisee by the name of Nicodemus and he's talking about spiritual things and he begins to talk about the things of the spirit and he likens it to the work of the wind. He said, Nicodemus, you can't see the wind, but you can see the effect that the wind is having. And even in the Garden of Eden, this partnering between God and man is alluded to by this concept of God and Adam walking with each other in the cool of the day, in this breeze, in this spirit, and this spiritual habitation, this abiding presence of God in the heart and life of God's pinnacle of his creation, which is humanity. And we see God speaking to Adam and Eve. We see God telling Adam that he's going to have a specific task. That it's his job to name the things that God has made. We see Adam interacting with God verbally. We see God telling Adam things that become a part of Adam's framework of thinking. You can say that the Lord taught Adam specific things through this spiritual relationship that they had that affected the way that Adam saw every aspect of life. God taught Adam, you can eat of every tree in the garden except for that one because the day that you eat of that one, you will surely die. From the realm of the Spirit of God, there was a wisdom that was being taught to Adam that was constructing the lenses by which he saw his everyday life. Are you following me? Okay, five people are following me. Let me break it down for you this way. Adam and Eve would hang out in the garden with God, and God would talk to them about stuff. And because God is really smart, Adam and Eve would learn a lot of cool things from God. Are you with me now? Okay, very good. So what happens is in the garden one day, another voice begins to speak to Eve. Another force at work in the garden begins to interact with God's good creation. And it has particular things to say. And it has a particular wisdom to give. It says that the serpent was the most subtle of all the animals. And that the serpent began to speak to Eve one day. Notice that God is portrayed in this cool of the day in the spirit. But the serpent is speaking from that which is something that's created. You understand that God is uncreated. He just is. But a wisdom starts to speak to Adam and Eve from a created something. How many of you know that the serpent is lower on the totem pole than God? And the wisdom that Adam and Eve needed was the wisdom that was coming from the one that made them, not the one that was a peer creation. And to be quite honest, not even directly horizontally peer was supposed to be beneath them. See, there are things that are beneath you that the powers of darkness desperately wants to use to deceive you, to ensnare you. And if we're confused about who we are, and if we're confused about who our God is, we end up taking the bait the same way that Adam and Eve took the bait. You and I were there. 
The scriptures tell us in Colossians that at one time we were enslaved and ensnared to the elementary spirits of this age, locked into the ways of sin and death. Is anybody else very excited tonight that Jesus has made us free from that? It's a powerful thing. But here's the thing that I want to tell you. The devil is not done being after you whenever you make a decision to follow Jesus. The devil doesn't make a decision just to leave you alone now that you've made a decision to follow Jesus. The scriptures tell us that in the last days, that it's possible if the days were not shortened, Pastor Dwayne talked about this on Sunday, that these powers of darkness could possibly even deceive the very elect of God. Broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many find that path, but narrow is the gate, and straight is the way that leads to everlasting life, and few find it. I'm here to tell you tonight that if we're going to follow Jesus, we need to learn how to grow And one of the many benefits that comes with following Jesus, which is to be taught by his Holy Spirit on how to discern what's right and what's wrong. How to discern the voices that come to us from this invisible but very real realm around us. Is everybody following me? Adam and Eve begin to entertain another voice in the garden. And this voice of the serpent serpent begins to give its own particular type of wisdom. And the first thing that it does is it draws into question that which God has said is truthful. Notice that the first operating system or the first line of communication between you and the enemy is always the pathway of unbelief. It's always the pathway of asking the question, which is the same question that he plagues humanity with today, and Christians are no exception, the same question that he plagued Eve with that day in the garden is the same question that we get plagued with today, which is this, did God really say? Eve said, we can eat of any tree that we want. She started out with actually being able to quote that which, is, that which God had taught her. Can I get a witness this, this evening that it's important for us to know what God has said and to be able to acknowledge it and speak it forth? Yes. That's an important thing. But here's the thing that you need to know is that Eve being able to repeat to the devil what God said was not this foolproof pathway. We know the rest of the story, don't we? It wasn't this foolproof pathway to not being able to be tempted. But we know that it is a beginning. Here's the interesting thing about it is that Eve quoting to the serpent what God had said is the same thing as us being able to quote God's word, his scripture. And an interesting thing is, is that Jesus, the last Adam that came to free us from the curse brought to us by Adam and Eve, whenever he's tempted by the enemy, the first thing he does is fall back on what God has said. But here's the interesting thing about the devil, is that the devil appears to know the scripture as well. Because parts of the temptations of Christ are actually things that God has said. Not things that weren't written, Can I get a witness, though? Things taken way out of context. 
So Satan says to Eve in the garden, you won't surely die if you eat this. The Lord knows that if you eat this, your eyes will be open and you'll be able to know good and evil and you will be like God. There's two types of wisdom at work in the world today. There's a wisdom that comes from above that's pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. But there's a second type of wisdom at work in the world today that's earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. And it's imperative that we as the people of God know how to be able to discern the differences between these types of wisdom that are coming to us from differing spirits. Here's the truth of it tonight, brothers and sisters, is that the wisdom that you're operating with, and what I mean by the wisdom you're operating with is the way that you think and the way that you see the world. The lenses by which you see life the lenses by which you see yourself, the lenses by which you see your spouse, the lenses by which you see your vocation, the lenses by which you see your children, the lenses by which you see the political climate in America, the lenses by which you see other people from different backgrounds and different races and different parts of the world. The lenses by which you see these things is what's constituting the wisdom that you're operating with. The wisdom you operate with is actually setting the tone and the temperature of your inner world. Your thought life, the wisdom that you operate with, is setting the tone and the temperature of your inner world. And this wisdom is your inner voice and your inner systems of belief by which you're seeing the world around you, and it acts as the scale by which you weigh and measure what's right and what's wrong, what's truthful and what's a lie, what's God and what's the enemy. The way that we think matters. And the way that we think, when we break it down, is only really being taught to us from two places. Either the way of the world, which is connected to the way of darkness itself, or the way of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus talks about this invisible reality that influences the way we think. And he uses a term that's different than spirit. He uses a term called leaven. How many of you have heard this term before? Leaven. In Mark chapter 8, verses 14 through 21, I want to read you this exchange that Jesus has with his followers. Now they had forgotten to bring bread. Interesting thing about this passage is at the earlier part of this chapter, Jesus has just got through with multiplying food to feed uh, 4,000 people. And now they're going to their next ministry opportunity, him and his disciples, and the disciples realize that they have forgotten to bring bread. It's really easy to read the Bible on this side of history and say, why were they worried about bringing bread if earlier they had just seen the Lord multiply food? It's the same reason why we can see God do miraculous things in our life and then be up against another giant and then doubt whether or not he's really good and he's going to come through for us. It's no different. And this is what he says. Now they were they forgotten to bring bread and they had only one loaf in the boat. And he cautioned them saying, watch out. Beware of the leaven. Everybody say leaven. 
of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Perception and understanding are references to wisdom. The way that you think and the way that you see the world. Are your hearts hardened, he asked. Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000? And how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, 12. And the seven for the 4,000. How many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up then? So by this time, the Lord has multiplied food twice. And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? Can I be honest with you? As followers of Jesus, many times we still do not understand. No matter how clear the Lord spells it out for us, no matter how matter of fact he is that you can eat of every tree of the garden except this one, because we lack discernment, because we lack wisdom, because we lack really understanding what it means to live by the Spirit and not by the flesh, so often we find ourselves in situations and places that God doesn't will for us to be, but we're there because we failed to understand and really partake of what the Lord's trying to teach us. It's without knowledge, the Scripture tells us, that people perish. The Proverbs tell us, above all, get wisdom, get understanding. King Solomon, whenever the Lord came to him as a boy in the night in a dream and asked him, I will give you whatever you ask for. Solomon asked for this one thing, wisdom. How many of you know that the Apostle Paul tells us in his letter to the Corinthians that for those of us that believe in Christ, we actually have the mind of Christ on the inside of us? We have access to Jesus, who is the wisdom of God. And I believe that we're living in a time and we're living in the midst of a culture and a climate that it's imperative that we learn how to activate our spiritual senses and see things through the lens of heavenly wisdom. It's important for us to make certain that we know the things that God has said. And that in that knowing, it's not just resting in a head knowledge, but that the type of knowing that God's actually wanting us to bring, bring us into is the knowledge of knowing him in the cool of the day, in a communing, communal relationship. Jesus' words of warning to his followers then about being aware of the leaven of Herod and of the Pharisees, I believe are the same words to us now. We have to begin to ask the question, what leaven have we allowed to enter into the fabric of our souls, our mind, our will, and our emotion, our emotions? What invisible realities are causing physical manifestations in our lives? This leaven, if we break it down, is connected to the spirits that are at work in our lives. Leaven is an invisible reality that has a visible response in the way that we think and process. The realm of the spirit is an invisible reality that has the ability to infiltrate and influence the way that we think and process life. The question that we really have to ask ourselves in re if we're going to be able to do a heart check 
And we're really going to be able to allow the Lord to reveal to us where we have, allowed, we have allowed an inferior spirit to influence us or where we have allowed a leaven into our hearts that's inferior to the leaven of the kingdom of God is we really have to ask this question, and it's this, what currently is getting a rise out of you? You know, the whole point of leaven is leaven or yeast is what causes bread to rise. If you pay attention to people long enough, you can see what leavens on the inside of them by what causes them to have a rise up moment. Do you know what I mean by me asking the question, what gets a rise out of you? Have you ever heard that phrase before? How many of you are aware that the leaven that's operating in your life is directly connected to the spirit that's influencing you. What's causing a rise out of you is giving you a hint to what spirit is influencing you and what wisdom you are operating with and under. I'll put it to you this way. Another way to ask the question, what's getting a rise out of you, is to say, what spirit are you of? Luke chapter 9, verses 46 through 56. It's great reading. But I think for this evening, I want to skip down to verse 51. I encourage you to go back and read some of the other passages. Verse 51 reads this way. Now, I want you to be prepared... Because more than likely, what's going to come in this next 14 minutes could be hard. What I'm going to say could possibly get a rise out of you. (laughs) And I want you to pay attention to what rises up in you and to what wants to come out of you whenever I talk the way I'm about to talk. Is everybody with me? Okay. Verse 51, Luke 9. Now it came to pass, when the time had come for him, Jesus is him, to be received up, that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem and sent messengers before his face. And as they went, they entered a village of the Samaritans to prepare for him. Do you understand that Jews had no dealings with Samaritans? Samaritans were unclean pagans that did not worship the Jewish God. And if they did worship the Jewish God, it wasn't the way that the Jews thought they should worship the Jewish God. Jesus was very controversial because he had dealings with Samaritans. Most famous dealing was the woman at the well who was a Samaritan. And as they went, they entered a village of the Samaritans to prepare for him. But they, the Samaritans, did not receive him because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, how many of you believe tonight that you're a follower of Jesus? Great. Keep your hand up if you believe you're a disciple of Jesus. Great. You know, James and John were followers and disciples of Jesus. Yeah. These guys are called the sons of thunder. 
You're about to find out why. And when his disciples, James and, okay, John saw this. What did they see? They saw, because all of us see. You see things. You just see them through a particular set of lenses. And the set of lenses that you see through is connected to the leaven that's on the inside of you, which is connected to the spirit that you're being influenced by. I'm going to prove it to you. So the Samaritans reject Jesus. That's offensive to James and John because they know who Jesus is. Because earlier in this passage, in Luke chapter 9, Peter has an epiphany and declares Jesus to be the Christ. So now all the 12, the entourage, is in on the fact that they had kind of guessed that he was the Messiah. But then Peter, through an amazing moment of clarity and epiphany, declares him to be the Christ. And Jesus does not deny it. So now they're confirmed that this guy is the Messiah. He's the one that's come to save the Jewish people. He's the one that's come to totally put to death the rule of the Roman Empire, to establish his kingdom in Jerusalem, and to rule and reign as a Davidic warrior king. And they know it's only a matter of time before Jesus starts chopping off people's heads. They know it's only a matter of time before Jesus rides the war horse and draws the broadsword. It's only a matter of time before the bloodthirsty Messiah gets going and puts to death this evil regime. That's what they thought. And when his disciples James and John saw this, Lord, please give me boldness to say what I need to say. Father, please give me boldness to say what you want to say. And they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them, comma, just as Elijah did? Oh, man, don't you love it when people quote the word of God? You know, that's in the Bible. Elijah called down fire from heaven and it consumed and Elijah drew a broad sword and Elijah went to chop in a group of pagans and these pagans had just rejected the living Christ, rejected the Messiah, rejected the warrior king and they say, Lord, it's time. We know you got lightning bolts at the ends of those fingertips. We know you're the one that trains our arms for war. You make my hands so I could bend a a bow of bronze. You're going to unleash your wrath on these pagans. But but he, (laughs) he, Jesus, okay, not your interpretation of Jesus, but the biblical definition of Jesus. We have problems if we want to argue with who the word of God says Jesus is. And whenever we do that, we're in danger of entertaining a spirit of antichrist. But he turned to them and rebuked them. (gasps) What? Yes, Jesus rebukes his followers. If you've never been rebuked by Jesus... 
we need to get you saved. Because you've actually never hung out with Jesus. You might have hung out with Oprah, but you're not hanging out with Jesus. Listen to this. He turned to them and rebuked them and said, You do not know what manner of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. I'm here to tell you that Jesus is warning to the disciples then. Beware the leaven of Herod. Beware the leaven of the Pharisees is his warning today. And his rebuke then is his rebuke today. You don't know what spirit you're of. Can I be honest with you? Even the followers of Jesus, even the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ are not always aware of what spirit they're of or what spirit they're under the influence of. I have to tell you something, and I say this with fear and with trembling, but the days and times that we live, we cannot afford for a second-rate version of Jesus. A couple weeks ago, we were on the brink of legitimate war. Things were getting pretty serious between us and the country of Iran. I'm here to tell you this today. That Jesus tells us to love our enemies, to bless those that persecute us. But I'm here to tell you that that's also held in tandem with what the Apostle Paul talks about in Romans chapter 13 which is about civil servants, military, law enforcement, that are servants of God. They bear the sword. And they bear the sword to be servants of God, to execute wrath on wrongdoers. And they're called servants of God. I'm here to tell you that war is sometimes a necessary evil in the world today. To restrain great evil. There are some people that have abandoned fear of retribution and their own conscience. And the scripture's clear in Romans chapter 13 that all that's left for them is the sword. I can tell you that there was great evil during the time of World War II and that it had to have lethal force match that evil to be able to stop the plague that had the ability to take over the earth. But I want to tell you this. That just because war is a necessary evil, it's still an evil. War is not God's best for humanity. Reason being, because in the day of the Lord's return and His kingdom fully consummated on the earth, there will be no more war. The book of Isaiah is very clear that we will take our weapons and we will have them beat and turned into plowshares. The things that we used as spears and swords against each other will be the things now that we use in the day and age that's coming to cultivate fruit from the ground. That which spilled blood will be redeemed and sanctified and transformed into time of peace. Brothers and sisters, it pains me in my heart to tell you that in the middle of us having to possibly go into, and I know that we're not out of the woods There's wars and rumors of wars and things are volatile in that part of the world. But I feel like I have to bring a God-fearing rebuke to the church 
in our geographical part of the world and in this hour, in the midst of turbulent times, I saw brothers and sisters that I know by name take to social media and post things like, get them, President Trump. Turn them all to dust. Wipe them off the map. I'm here to tell you, with fear and trembling, that when you talk that way, you don't know what spirit you're of. I'm here to tell you this, that we need to be in a place of deep intercession and deep prayer for our armed services that selflessly defend the liberties of this country. But I'm here to tell you this as well. In the midst of turbulent times, the people of God have to have the wisdom of heaven to not be bloodthirsty, but to be bloodwashed. The people of God in the midst of turbulent times have to pray for peace. You and I both know the Old Testament. There is times even from the hand of the Lord himself that lethal force is required in humanity. I can name you two. The days of Noah and the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. But you, what you will find in the days of Noah is that the Lord was extremely long-suffering and the Lord gave every opportunity before lethal force. The Lord put in place a man, a prophetic man by the name of Methuselah, whose name means after he dies, judgment is coming. The word Methuselah means after he dies, judgment. And the Lord gave him the ability to be the man that lived the longest in human history. God is not quick to anger. God is not quick to wrath. The people of God should not be either of those things. After he dies judgment, and I believe that what really filled up the earth in the flood were the tears of heaven. I believe that the water that consumed the earth were partly the sobs of our creator. Part of what caused the Lord to do what he had to do was because of the widespread glorification and addiction to violence. When you go back and you read the passages of what finally allowed the Lord to act that way in the flood, one of the things that grieved his heart more than anything else was the widespread violence that had taken over the land. Church of the Lord Jesus Christ, hear me. The people of the cross cannot glorify and cannot idolize violence. You don't know what spirit you're of when you do that. Son of man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And he went to another village. In the time of Sodom and Gomorrah, because of the rampant sexual sin of that city. And by the way, there were multiple other things besides the sexual sins of Sodom and Gomorrah. If you go and you read the Old Testament, it actually says that in Sodom, there was an abundant, the things that grieved God's heart, one of those was an abundance of food. <laughs> A decadence of the culture. Forgetting the poor and heaping up lust for themselves. 
And the city became so corrupt that the Lord once again moved to an act of lethal force. And in the middle of that time, there's a man by the name of Abraham. Oh, I long for the faith of Abraham to be in God's people. To look at the city of Sodom, full of decadence, full of moral decay, and Abraham to intercede and say, God, is there another way? This man was called a friend of God. The Lord says, I'll spare it if you can find me this many. And Abraham got to looking and he says, that's going to be tough. <laughs> Lord, will you do it for this many? Absolutely, Abraham, I will. Church of the Lord Jesus Christ, we do not have a bloodthirsty father. We have a father that in his son Jesus Christ has provided a way for all of humanity to be blood washed. And I'm fearful for a day and an hour when the people of God have confused a political spirit for the Holy Spirit. And are driven to anger and hate and rage in the midst of a time when the world needs the prayers of the saints. The world needs prayers for peace, not prayers for war. I believe that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ need people that are operating under the spirit of wisdom, of heaven's wisdom, the wisdom from above that's first gentle and peaceable and pure. The wisdom of heaven that sees us possibly on the brink of war and that has enough foresight and foreknowledge to know that the fastest growing church in the entire world right now by statistics is the underground church in Iran led mostly by women. The church of Jesus Christ need people that can tap into the spirit and pray on behalf, not just of our military. You understand that we need to be in a place of prayer constantly for our military, for our armed forces, those that fulfill the requirements of Romans 13, that carry the sword as agents of God to execute wrath on the wrongdoer. We need to be in constant prayer for our law enforcement that keep evil at bay. But here's the thing that you also need to know is that in the midst of those times when I see brothers and sisters airing to the world on social media and their social media profiles say Christian, but their posts say turn them to dust. Right. It grieves the heart of God to see that kind of malice and anger in his children. The church needs people that can tap into the prayer of the Iranian father that's leading a family with four children that's serving the Lord Jesus in secret that calls you a brother, that calls you a sister and says, children, I know we have no control on if bombs land, but let's pray that we would be faithful to Jesus. Where's the heart of the church in the West when we take to Facebook to proclaim that we turn people to dust? 
I forget that God so loved the world. I'm here to tell you this in fear and trembling, but God did not send his son just to save the United States of America. God sent his son to save the world. And the world has brothers and sisters in it that by no fault of their own are born in different places than here. And the people of God need to be not so quick to hide behind our money and our guns and to make a decision to say, Lord, if there be another way, let this cup pass. But nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. People that are burdened. For the things of God. We live in a time, in a generation, in a culture when things like war are necessary. But make no mistake, my friend, it's evil. It's the result of evil. There's a day coming where the lion will lay down with the lamb. And the nations will no longer train for war. Be careful to not become inspired and addicted to things that will not become and will not be a part of God's eternity. Be careful of this leaven of Herod. Be careful of the leaven of the political spirit that pits people against each other because of where they live in the world that we don't stay in the unity of the spirit to pray for our brothers and sisters in the midst of war-torn places. You could have been them. They could have been you. I feel the Lord Jesus would say, be sure what spirit you're of, little children. There's many examples that I could give and I hope over the next couple weeks to be able to. But the people of God have to be able to ask some hard questions in the times that we live in. We have to be able to ask the question, what does the leaven of the kingdom of God look like in my life? What does being of the Holy Spirit look like in the midst of of a culture of hate and violence. What does it look like to operate with heavenly wisdom? Wisdom from above. Titus chapter 3, I believe, paints a picture for us. The apostle writes and says, Remind them, who's them? Us to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. People of the cross... 
You're not of the Holy Spirit when you hate. Hatred is not a part of the kingdom that's coming. Not of people anyway. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, we desperately need in this hour the church of Jesus Christ to be a prophetic witness of the nature of God, of His goodness and loving kindness. He saved us. He appeared. He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. By the washing and regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy. And I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissension, and quarrels about the law. Welcome to the work of the leaven of Herod and the leaven of the Pharisees. Welcome to the work of the political climate to get people to squabble and bicker and fight and dispute over whether or not a fetus with a heartbeat is life. There's a wisdom from above that's plain and simple it's life. But the squabble, the political spirit pits each other, pits us against each other. Foolish controversies, things that should not even be on the arguing table. Listen to this. As the person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. I'm here to tell you that we must end partnership and not give place for this type of leaven, yeast, this type of spirit in our life. And you have to notice that God is loving and he's gracious and he's kind. But can I get a witness to you that the Holy Spirit isn't always nicey-nice? Verses 10 through 11 prove that point. As for the one who stirs up division... After warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he's self-condemned. Not only do I believe that we have to end partnership with these types of spirits, it's important for us to know this, that living with spiritual discernment through the knowledge of the Holy Spirit will lead you to other necessary endings in your life. Do you know that there's some people in the body of Christ that spend more time watching the news than they do communion with the Savior. People that are paid for a living to stir up division and foolish controversies. The scripture says that after you warn somebody like that once and then twice, and if they don't change, have nothing to do with them, I'm here to tell you that the national media has not changed. Why we still have so much to do with it and why it still has so much influence over us and our worldview, I have no idea. Living with spiritual discernment allows you to recognize where there needs to be necessary endings in your life. Can I get a witness that there needs to be a necessary ending between you and a glorification of violence? There needs to be a necessary ending between you 
and relationships that promote you hating other people. There needs to be a necessary ending between you and for some of you, a necessary ending between you and the six o'clock news. There needs to be a necessary ending between you and some relationships that you have. I'm just here to be honest with you. There are some people that do not make you better. They make you bitter. And good people and with good morals are corrupted through bad company. Some of you still hold to and entertain the prejudiced thoughts of your parents. Can I be honest with you, church? It is not good for followers of Jesus to have negative feelings towards people because they have a different skin color than you. If you're somebody that operates with that mindset and you're part of the family of God, there needs to be a necessary ending between you and that spirit. Between you and that relationship that fuels the fire of your racism. Not in the family of God. Living with spiritual discernment will lead us into necessary endings. The question is, Is there anything in my life? Is there anything in your life that needs to end? That needs to be put to death because it it is of the spirit of this age, not the spirit of the kingdom that's coming. Bottom line is this. We need what Titus, the book of Titus speaks of in verse 5. We need the regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit so that we're not conformed but so that we are transformed and live lives of transformation. Raise your hand if you're a disciple of Jesus. Disciples of Jesus live out daily what it means to be regenerated and renewed by the Holy Spirit. Disciples of Jesus live out daily what it means to be transformed. Will you partner with the Lord and allow Him to reveal to you where you have been under the influence of an inferior spirit? Will you partner with the Lord and allow him to reveal to you where you've taken the bait of the serpent? Will you partner with the Lord and allow him to reveal to you where and in what area of your life you're operating through an earthly wisdom and where you desperately need the wisdom of God? So many more examples that I can give. And I hope to be able to do that in the weeks that come. I'm going to ask the ministry team to come. Every head bowed and every eye closed. What was said tonight... that got a rise out of you? What was said tonight that revealed to you where you've believed a lie, where you have fallen victim and prey to an opposing spirit? Where in your heart tonight did you hear the Lord say, you don't know what spirit you're of when you talk that way?
when you feel that way about another person? Where do you sense the hand of the Lord leading you into a necessary ending? Where do you see alignments in your life? Things you're aligned to. People you're aligned to that are making you bitter, not better. Would you put your hand on your heart tonight if you honestly feel that the Lord is revealing something to you? Something that you know you can have no more room of in your heart. A place where you've allowed 11 to get a rise out of you. And just in a place of honesty and humility before the Lord, with so many of us with hands on our hearts, say, Father, show me a better way. Teach me the Jesus way. Teach me what it is to be not conformed to the things of this world, but to be transformed by your spirit, God. Give me a heart. It's hard toward adversity, but soft toward people. Give me a heart that sees things the way you see things, God. Show me where I've put my trust in princes instead of the prince of peace. Show me where I've trusted in my political party more than I trust in the prince of peace. Reveal to me where I've trusted in my nationality more than I trust in the Prince of Peace. Help the church in America, God, be everything that we are supposed to be in this hour. Help us to continue to be a peculiar people. People that don't fit perfectly into either camp because we're of another world. People that don't align with the customs and practices of this temporary age, but people that live as ambassadors of God's heaven on this earth. Give us hearts that break for the things that break yours, we pray, Lord. Deliver us from a spirit of politics. Deliver us from a spirit of religion. And usher us safely into the arms of your Holy Spirit that he would lead and guide us in the middle of our politics and in the middle of the religion that we practice. Give us eyes to see your church, not isolated to a continent or to a nation. Give us eyes to see the global church that we belong to. And let's pray as people that belong to a king and a kingdom that's ruling and reigning now and will soon be manifested to the world. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and God's children said, Amen. Amen. Would you give the Lord praise tonight?